G'day. Welcome, everybody, average men and average women, to episode number 118 of the Average Man Podcast, Stink Fist. Today's episode is another guest, return guest, Mr. Robbie Peck. Um, we're here to talk about, well, everything. We talk about a whole bunch of stuff, but really the, the point of getting together was to talk about the... Um, the prospect of having uh, fads and and a couple of artificial reefs out off the coast of Port Hedland, and that's in sort of the the uh, everything's in motion. Um, there's a lot of good news, positive news, a lot of background stuff that's been going on over the last couple of years, and we're here to speak about that. I don't think we actually get to talking about that until about the 50 minute mark. So if that's all you want to hear, we'll skip on through to about the 50 minute mark. Otherwise, sit back, listen to us talk about spear fishing, diving, hunting, meat, carnivore diet. Um, yeah, the, the, the fads and the, and the uh, artificial reef as well, that comes into it as well. So, and it's just a good old yarn between a couple of mates. Anyway, enough from me. I'm going to let you get on into it. Um, stink fist. I cannot remember why we called it stink fist. There was a little bit of a pre-podcast joke. Um, I'm sure it was unsanitary, whatever it was. But anyway, it's an awesome song. So this is just a, a no-brainer. Stink fist. Here you go. I'll get out your way. And we are live. Robbie Peck, how you going, mate? Good, thanks, bro. Yeah. Good, good. Welcome to episode number 118 of the Average Man podcast, Stink Fist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll, we'll, I'll describe that. I'll tell you why it's named that a bit later. So, um, that mate. Could, that could sound really bad, hey? Stink Fist. Well, it's a terrible name to start with, mate. <laughs> So here we are, mate. It's it's Saturday night. We've broken the cardinal rule of, of podcasting because we had a massive feed just before we come before we set up and got started here. Um, Robbie's fed, fed me like a king with like a plate full of carnivore food. How good was that, man? Mm, carnivore-ish. Carnivore-ish. We had the had the fruit on there. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, I'm I'm loving it, man. The, it's this, good, eh? Um, hey? This new diet, yeah. We're it's both good. trying the carnivorous diet. I've tried. I think I have spoke about it on the on the podcast a little bit, but I've tried not to be um, one of those dudes that speaks mm-hmm. about his diet all the time in in general life. Mm-hmm. I've had people at work ask me about it because um, they've seen me like eating just big hunks of meat at, mm-hmm. <laughs> at work. It's a podcast equivalent of um, Instagram food photos constantly. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I think you can talk about it on a podcast because you know we're just here to talk shit. Mm. Um, but just in your everyday life, you can't just be um, harassing people and, and confronting them with your mm. fucking dietary choices all the time. We all know those people. You know what, though, man? Like I've been doing it at work, and people see me have steak for brekkie, and um, and they're going, "Yeah, <laughs> 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 I was like, you don't even have to, you don't have to force this thing down people's throats." People nah. are like, "Man, that looks epic." Especially men. Men seem to be fucking like just predisposed to want to eat just big hunks of meat. Hey. Mm. And you don't have to restrict what you're eating at all. You just eat mm. till you're full. Yep. And it satiates you like quicker. Mm. And it's just it's the best buddy yeah. diet going around. And not only that, man, I've found as well, like what am I now? I've been trying it for three weeks or something. Um, and yeah, like I find that energy levels are far more stable throughout the day. And the big carb crash isn't yeah, there, man. eh? Cravings, very minimal. And um, yeah, you know, like I was a bit worried about the, you know, some of the health impacts and whatnot, but um, it sounds like there's a fair bit of good science around it to say that it's, um, you know, provided you do mix it up with a few veggies and stuff, or, or if you're a mad dog and you want to eat all the raw organs and stuff, which... Nose to tail, as they call it. Yep. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm not quite there yet. I'm on the the organ supplements, but um, they're expensive, man. 
yeah, I mean, expensive. Yeah, yeah. So I got to try and and get get into that that uh, raw liver lifestyle. Mm, <laughs> I think yeah, to, yeah. to maximise it. But then you got to find that everywhere as well. You can't just get it at Woolies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So most butchers have that kind of crap. Mm. Yeah, actually, I've got a um, kidney soaking in the fridge. Oh, now. you got the kidney today? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm um, soaking in milk. Uh, yeah, I yeah. don't know if that's strictly um, in line with the carnivorous um, ideals, but um, you know, milk yeah. just tends to mellow out game. It's animal, yeah, animal yeah. based. Yeah, it is animal based. It's yeah. milk. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the thing with it. There's like the fruit you can eat if you go on carnivorous or animal based um, milk. You know, dairy products. It all comes from from animals, and it's just about what works for the for you. Okay? I guess if you're having milk and you and you run to the toilet. And, and destroying the bowl, maybe you got to mm. cut it out. But yeah. <laughs> I do reckon that a big percentage of the population is, has some form of lactose intolerance. But yeah. I honestly don't believe I'm one of them. I can nah. smash back like a you know milky coffee or something before I go for a dive. No mucus or anything like that. I'm I'm sweet. And not all um oh yeah the mucus not not all all um milk is created equal. Eh? Like say yogurt, Greek yogurt for for uh, instance. Like when you got the, all the the good bacteria in there, seems to be. Like gentler on the gut Obviously goat's milk's a different one There's different mm. kinds of lactose That yep. doesn't seem to set people off as much mm. either Camel milk apparently Is um is all A2 From the like actual milk From the Actual milk udder. from camels Is yeah, it yeah, udder? Yeah, yeah. yeah I guess so yeah. They're ruminant aren't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, But yeah there's actually um, I'm, I didn't even invest But there was a thing that popped up the other day On the internet um, Of a crowdsourcing um, type of arrangement For camel um, milk for camel milk, and apparently the stuff sells for like the powdered stuff is about yeah. like a hundred bucks for a tin of it, or even more. Um, and and Jeez. then the actual the milk itself currently retails for about ten bucks a liter. This dude reckons that um, it's called Good Earth Dairy. I'm not no way associated with them. I probably should have been though. Um, <laughs> You're selling them um, that much, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, they they basically reckon that they've got some technology. They reckon they can get it down to being competitive with cow's milk. Mm. Um, but yeah, potentially even capturing some of these wild camels in the outback and and then putting them in a farm milk situation. Them. But what's yeah. the what's the milk like? They reckon they reckon really good, sweet. really creamy and um, and delicious. Camel's and it, it's just something to wrap your head around the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> never considered camel's milk mm. before. Yeah. Even goat's milk, I mean, like, you know, people are into feta and stuff. It's like if you'd mm. never, never tried goat's milk before or goat's cheese, like if it was, it was a new animal you'd never tried, you'd be like, oh, it's freaking goat's, weird. Yeah, yeah. But then most people quite happily eat goat's milk. When goat's you take a step feta. back and think about it, cow's milk's weird, really. Yeah. Like we're just used to it. Mm. It still comes from those big, fat, Swollen udders yep. off the yeah. <laughs> bottom of a hairy cow yep. and we just, we just throw it back. I love the argument um, – about we're the only we're the only other mammal on earth that drinks the milk of another of another animal, and then, then <laughs> I've heard that thrown out. And then I can't remember who made the argument. Someone else goes, "We're also the only mammal on earth with iPhones. Like <laughs> we we do a lot of shit that no one else, and no other <laughs> animals are doing. So mm. you can't really just compare apples for apples in that situation, can you? Mm. Yeah, can't <laughs> see any other animals cultivating or um, you know. Having tame animals either. Yeah, we, yeah, so. changing their changing their, their habitat and the surroundings as much as we do in general. So nah man, I'm I'm enjoying it, eh? And I was thinking before about we're talking about different diets and like how I've I've done the vegetarian thing at one point in time. Everyone's done some sort of diet at one period in their life. And you generally have this craving to like finish the diet and go back to the way you're eating or just some specific thing that you're really craving and missing. And 
um, while I do really enjoy veggies and salad in particular, like I love that. And when, if I sit there and think about it, oh, a nice salad with olive oil and sweet cherry tomatoes and all the, the shit you normally put in a salad. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's delicious. I could eat one of those. But I'm not missing it. I'm not craving it. Mm. I'm not walking around during the day going, oh, I need some cherry tomatoes in my life. So yeah, man. It kind, of, it kind of satiates you and fills you up and, and hits all the right spots, eh? Hey? Mm. Yep. On that note, though, I'm actually I am going to smash tomatoes um, oh, this yeah? coming winter. You just grow them. Yeah, yeah. The cherry tomatoes you grow yourself, man. It's just so good. I mentioned tomatoes. Is that probably is one of the things I miss the most? And I think it with it that being one of the highly inflammation, like mm-hmm. the, the 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 veggie vegetables. I guess is it a vegetable or a fruit? Technically, fruit? technically, technically, but. Mm. One of the, the it's one of the nightshade family that causes like that is significantly causes inflammation. I've I've noticed that myself. Hey, I think I told you about that with the, the mm, tennis elbow yeah, and yeah. shit like yep. that. So I'll probably stay away from those for the most part, just because I'm enjoying not having like, massively inflamed elbows and, and joints at the moment. Mm. And if it works, you just stick with it. Indeed, man. So anyone who doesn't know, Robbie's a <coughs> he's a repeat guest this time round. We've been trying to put this together for a little while. We're both full time, <laughs> fully employed, um, f- uh, with families and that, all the the shit that goes with that. So it's quite hard to put this stuff together. But um, last time round, we spoke about hunting a fair bit. Um, since then, you've started adding the bow to your repertoire. Mm, indeed, man. Yeah. So. Um Something I've wanted to do for a very, very long time. Mm. Um, yeah, it's always appealed to me. Bow and arrows are just freaking cool. They are know? cool. Yeah. Like even just seeing them in movies as a kid, I'm like, man, that just looks cool. Yeah. And um, and yeah, it's just I don't even know what sparked it. I think just maybe it was just something about being in the bloody lockdown and COVID situation. I was like, is that right, when I'm you bought gonna... it? Yeah, man. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I was like, you know what? I'm gonna freaking I'm gonna get into this and. Um, yeah, it's just got a little range set up in the driveway. and um, It's got a good driveway for it. Yeah, it's perfect. So, <laughs> yeah, just wait for everyone, all kids to go to bed and just, um, you know, um, start just letting loose a few arrows. And it's just as good. It's like therapeutic. I was about and, to say, is it therapeutic? Yeah, yeah. And, um, and it's actually great shoulder rehab for me as well. I bug in my shoulder and um, just your perfect bow form is using your back muscles and so all those stabilizing muscles yeah. that you're meant to do for shoulder rehab i'm activating when i draw a bow so yeah. it's like perfect and way more fun than just like you know sitting in there with a freaking rubber band and you know yeah. against the doorway yeah, or something yeah, yeah, yeah. so um yeah it's like win-win really yeah so the form the correct form to draw the bow as you said and even to to make it Smoother and easier to, to draw. It's to, it's going to force you to, to to use those back muscles to stabilise rather than just muscling it through your arm and your exactly shoulder and man. stuff. Hey, yep. you get a real jolty sort of um, draw if you do it like that. The yeah. incorrect way. Hundred percent, man. And even just like holding, there's just so many little nuances when it comes to shooting an arrow properly and um, or shooting a bow properly rather. But um, I've gone for the for a recurve bow, which is a traditional style bow, mm. as, as you know, as opposed to a um, Compound bow, which is the, the more modern type of bow. It's um, what a lot of the bow hunters you see on like the Insta and a lot of the hunting channels and all that sort of shit, they use the, the, mm. the compound bow. Yeah. So what's the difference? That's got pulley systems and a sight and different things like that, a lot of more, more mechanical aid to help with the draw and the actual shot itself and everything, hey? and recurve yep. is much more basically a simple bow and arrow with a, with a bit of modern technology on it. Exactly, yeah. And, I mean, even a recurve is not – I mean, I think they've been around for – thousands of years too um mongolians i 
may be wrong with this fact, but I think Mongolians did have a big part to play with Rikus, may have even invented them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, basically you've got long bows, which is basically just a stick bent with your string in between them. Yeah. And then you've got recurve, which is <coughs> um, has a, I guess a counter curve at the tips of the of the uh, of the bow limbs, and that is a more a more um, efficient design, basically. Yeah. So it allows you to have the same power with a slightly shorter bow. Yeah. And then the modern compound bow. I mean, bows in general have been you know tens of thousands of years. I remember. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wife and I went to Spain on our honeymoon. We saw these freaking cave paintings with these like. You know, pictures of guys shooting things, um, or drawings rather, paintings, um, yeah. like 30,000 years old, man. It's yeah. so cool. Just that is um, cool. And, and then, yeah, so anyway, I digress. The, um, the compound bow has an advantage that you can get a lot more power, but when you're at your maximum draw, when you're ready to let that arrow loose... Um, the way the the cams work, the little pulleys at the top of the, at the ends of the bow limbs, you don't actually have to have that much force. So you can effectively Hold. pull through the very hard part, and then the cams kick in and take all the weight. So you've you've effectively got a really highly charged bow mm. with not much effort to hold that thing back. Yeah, um, right. And they are very cool cool piece of equipment. But for me, I just liked the simplicity of the recurve. Um, mm. Less accurate, slightly less power, unless you're really strong. Yeah, yeah. Um, You've got a heavier pound bow on. Exactly, yeah. So, but um, but I just felt it was also with the spearfishing background, um, it just lent itself. I don't know. The transition between the two is easy, and they kind of complement each other. Yeah. Because with a spear gun, you're also just pretty much like instinctively aiming at a, aiming at a fish and shooting. And, yeah. Um, and the recurve bow is much like that. It's like, you know, with a with a compound bow, you're having to use different sights. And mm. if it's 10 metres away, you use a different sight versus 20 or 30. Yeah. And it's a lot more, I guess, scientific, and that's great. But um, it's a recurve is more similar to picking up a stone and throwing it. Like, yeah. you instinctively know, like, if a, if a, you know, targets, if you're chucking at something five metres away, yeah. you'll just biff it straight at it. Yeah. But if it's... 30 meters away then you'll lob it somewhat yeah and you just instinctively know and so that's the idea with a with a traditional bow it's just more tapping into that i guess that human nature but mm. with that comes a little bit more judgment and a little bit more inaccuracy as well yeah so t- typically you'd probably want to be a little close to the animal you were shooting perhaps mm. perhaps if you were shooting real big game you get the more bit more benefit from the compound bows because I've noticed that just obviously following guys from podcasts and looking at them on socials and watching hunting shows and that there's a lot involved in those compound bows like they, these guys put hundreds of hours of practice in mm. and, and they talk about the technicality of the shot and all this like um, uh, what do they call it um, there's like a, a like a condition that most people get when they're shooting the bow I can't remember what they call it like. Uh, um, where they have so they've got surprise triggers and stuff oh like yeah like you've got release aids which basically yeah 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 and um, they have certain trigger mix I think which almost go off like without yeah, you yeah without you, you know, realising yeah. I can't remember exactly what they call that but apparently mm. that's really common so there seems like a lot more technology and a lot more time and accuracy and, mm. and, and sort of effort put into to perfecting the shot and like you say just a bit more instinctual and, and straightforward using the recurve bow yep and yeah man 
and I guess as well, like I mean, even when with a recurve bow, you you don't leave it strung up and, and mm. effectively the bow bent. You you take the string off in between uses. Yeah. Um, whereas a compound bow stays. Oh, they leave them under load. Up. Yeah, stays under load the whole time, which is fine with a with a compound. But yeah. you have to take it into a proper shop to get it restrung and all that and sort all of that stuff. Shit. So yeah. yeah, but um, it's really cool, man. And there's like quite a, a tight little. Um, like traditional bow hunting community like in Australia and also around the world so yeah. when I'm you know at a better level and, and um, I guess um, at a freer level <laughs> I'm really keen to try and like you know meet up with some of these experienced guys at some stage in the future and try and go for a hunt or something you know yeah. like cruise over to Queensland or something and, and reach mm. out and I'm sure like based on, on what I've seen online and that in the community and podcasts um, they'd, they'd be up for that sort of thing so yeah, yeah. Small enough that they're still welcoming mm. to, to yeah, be excited man. and pumped for other people yep. to get involved in the sport. Yeah, it's funny. Actually, um, oh, sorry, Anka. You're right. It's funny you say that about the instinctive nature of the aim, of just you know how to where to aim and how and how you know throwing a rock, how hard you need to throw it, where you need to throw it, and spearfishing. Um, very similar because when you first start using a spear gun, you kind of think, what's the technique here? How, what do I aim? off how do I make sure I'm hitting the fish but it's kind of is just instinctual really isn't it you just mm. you point that damn thing at a fish yeah man <laughs> and uh, after a few shots you get to understand your distance and especially if you're using one or two rubbers that sort of thing and, yep. and you just it comes if you don't think about it too much there's plenty of other things to think about when you're underwater trying to find the right ground holding your breath calming yourself down um dealing with the equipment itself and then you kind of just when you're in the right position you, you, the shooting of a fish comes a lot more instinctual and a lot more easier than, than you might think about it if, if you think about it too much doesn't it 100% man like point I mean, it in the right direction and pull the trigger and exactly hope becomes, your safety's off yeah. <laughs> <laughs> many times I've screwed that one up yeah. but um, yeah um, and sometimes miss fish because of that but yeah. Um, yeah. but yeah I think as well it comes down to confidence with your gear and familiarity with your gear as well um you know, for me personally, I shoot a very basic spare gun as well. Um, no, you can have like roller guns and all mm. these other fancy things, which I are... could never get that. I, I've oh. had a go with the roller, I couldn't yeah. get it to work for me, eh? Like consistently, and, yeah, and yeah. like it was, I was spending too much time thinking about the gear mm. rather than just thinking about everything yeah. else I was doing. Yeah, I think they are a very great tool, and if you're right into the the techie side of things, which I guess I I like that too, but also. Um, you know, being an engineer naturally, you know, um, mm. I like that. But yeah, yeah. And saying that when it comes to my leisure pursuits, I often try and go for simplicity as well. It's, yeah. um, it's kind of counterintuitive in a lot of ways. But for me, I've got the exact same, just a standard double rubber spare gun. And I've got three different lengths, all made from, by Rob Allen, which is just a, you know, middle of the range, but one Reliable. of the, yeah, and one of the original dudes. Um, so it's a very consistent gun. And because it's the same brand and same style of gun, I can quite easily switch it up between the two and, you know, pour of his ability to go for a shorter gun um, mm. right through to my um, 1600 Samburu Rob Allen, which is more for your Big fish for your blue water. water. And yeah. yeah, Although in saying that, I have used it in shallow water before when the visibility has been fantastic and yeah, right. fish tend to keep their distance a little bit more. And, um, and I love shooting that gun, man, far out. It's just a beautiful thing to use. Mm. And... Um, you know, when when as you're saying, when you're having those days where everything just works and you you're breathing up on the surface, you're super relaxed and and diving down and sitting on the bottom, 
you're pretty much like immersed in nature and the fish when you're in that frame of mind the fish just do not care that you're there you're just you're just a part of nature and um and it's almost meditative in a lot of ways and mm. then you know good fish comes along and you just you know casually coolly just you know line it up and and you don't even have to think just you know boom and it just works and i've had days where i've just been like bam bam just every shot has mm. just been perfect and you know well just about perfect um and and stony fish but you know on the flip side have those days sometimes when you lose a bit of confidence and then you can't seem to hit a fish and uh, <laughs> it's like most days when i go out <laughs> i don't go out consistently enough to get to get real comfortable with it, which I'm trying mm. to remedy at the moment and trying to remedy this is hard time, this time of year. Like I'm definitely keen as now, but um, yeah, the consistency helps with all that. Mm. Hey, yep. so we should mention that you're, you're a big part of the the local spearfishing club up here. One of them. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So um, I've been well involved in the club for oh three years now. Yeah, um, treasurer for the last two years. Yep. And um, was it Northwest Northwest Spearfishing Club? Spearfishing Club, yeah. Yeah, so um, so yeah, it's a yeah, no, I just sort of got involved because um, the club was established before I came along, but um, I think it was two thousand and sixteen. Oh, when was it? Three years ago, I think. Four no, four years ago, I think the club was um, incorporated, Mm -hmm. and um, yeah, I I joined in a few of the competitions and um, and had a really good time and thought, you know, it's cool be like to get involved and, and give a little bit back and so um so yeah just um felt like it's a fantastic sport i'm still fairly new to spearfishing myself i've only been doing it for five years or something which is not long in the big scheme of of spearfishing and um yeah so you know it's all about just having fun and um i don't I just want to try and share the stoke of spearfishing and mm. I think it's just a fantastic sport to get into for many reasons and, and I want to share that stoke with people. It's it's so good, man. And you said before about it's sort of kind of meditative. Um, that's one of the things I find. So there's certain things you do in life. There's several things that I've done um, and haven't done enough of but I have absolutely loved that when you're involved in them um, all you're thinking about is the task at hand and definitely spearfishing is one of them when you're out there you're not thinking about any other problems of the world or you know the fucking your job the bills or, or anything else that's, that's going on you're out there thinking about the task at hand which is meditative in itself and you go certain exercise certain like really extreme or, or hard exercise can do that for you as well um, mm-hmm. I, I find it when i'm right when i'm on a good run i get just in the in the rhythm you know and 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 it's one of those things that you come back refreshed from it um, mm. There's a there's a point of there's a a, a point where you kind of go, um, what's the word? Uh, not point of no return, but there's a point where you go too far and you now now you you you're digging into your your resources as well, you know, uh, your reserves, yep. um, diminishing returns. That's it. A point of dimi- diminishing returns, mm-hmm. but you can come back from a good spearfishing session just so um, refreshed and revived and feeling you know yep. you, you, you've a, a weight off your shoulders, and it's it's that. You're just under there. You're just thinking about looking after the the blokes that you're with. You're thinking about calming your heart down, looking for good ground, looking for fish. Just it's there's, your world becomes very small, and it's such a such a refreshing thing because mm. life's got so many little intricacies and so many things that are urgent. You have to pay attention to, and everyone wants something from you, and you got to respond to this person and talk to that person and deal with this situation and. 
to have like five or six things that become important for a few hours and that's all that matters. It's so refreshing, eh? Yeah, man, 100%. And, um, you know, to, to steal one of the buzzwords of the present time, it's just mindfulness. Mindfulness. It <laughs> is absolute mindfulness. Um, however, unlike the corny mindfulness that you might have, you know, heard of or heard some motivational speaker talking about, I find you just don't even have to think about being mindful when uh, you're doing it. You yeah, know? yeah. And, no um, one needs to teach you. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. just it just happens naturally. Don't need and, a nap for it. Yeah. <laughs> and an interesting thing with spearfishing, which um, what I 100% agree with you. Other other sports and other other activities can can give you the same kind of you know re- results. I think spearfishing takes it to another level because we have the mammalian dive reflex, which mm. is um, you know that that response. Um, of the human body to being immersed in water, um, especially when you're in a breath-holding situation, your heart rate naturally slows down. And so, you know, you might, maybe you're, you're reasonably fit, you might sit at 60 beats a minute or something. When you go sparing, you can drop right down. I mean, I don't, don't quote me on how low some of these freaks can go, but like these guys, like, you know, the Iceman and, and Adam, some of Adam, these, Adam Stern Adam and, Stern, and yeah. some of these other like hardcore freedivers, they can dive like 100 metres, it's insane. And I have no doubt they're, they're you know, resting heartbeat in those situations is way, way, way below what you'd normally, you know, have on land. So theoretically, I should be able to, uh, I should be a master at breath hold because my resting heart rate's about anywhere from 36 to 38. Mm. I'm You're kidding me! Super what low. Yeah, every time I get my heart. Yeah, every time I get my heart rate um, tested, um, I freak people out, freak out the nurse or, or the doctor. I've had to when I had to get um, uh, my insurance set up. They put me on an ECG and maybe do a, a, a chest X-rays and everything to no make way. sure I didn't have some sort yeah, of wow. some sort of condition. But it's, it's always been like that. Um, rest and heart rate super low, yeah. under forty all the time. Wow! So, yeah. yeah. So so technically, if I could sort everything else out, I should be able to get mine mm. <laughs> down really low. <laughs> That's impressive, man. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what that is because it was even before I was fit. That was like that. Mm. So in my in my mid early twenties when I was when I was just raging, yeah. <laughs> and definitely wasn't fit, and high school years and all that sort of shit, and when fitness was not a priority of mine at, at, at all, it was it's always been like. And my dad's he's the same as well. So. Wow. Um, also, yeah, hard to find my pulse, weak sort of weak, weak pulse, <laughs> yeah. barely, barely alive, mate. <laughs> but uh, so that which speaks to the fact that it's so much of it is mental. Like I got mm. really good, not not amazing, but I got good cardiovascular um, fitness, a lot better than a lot of just the blokes I know who are just mm-hmm. good divers. Um, as I said, the low heart rate, but my breath holds rat shit because I haven't practiced and I haven't done any actual formal training or anything yeah. like that. And so it's massively mental, hey, like getting past yeah. that. What do they reckon? When you, when, you f- when you feel that urge that you just have to take a breath, you're only sort of about halfway, two-thirds through your breath hold, <laughs> Not realistically. Even that, Not I even. mean, like, um, yeah, I've done some breath hold training and um, that was – the theory is that in the in the controlled situation of a pool, I would I don't do this, and I would never advocate for this during um, free diving. But in a controlled situation of a pool where someone's there ready to pull you out, mm. is when you can push the boundaries when you're in yeah. a safe environment. And um, during those breath hold sessions, basically we'd just be, you know, in nice warm water, kiddies pool, shallow end, floating on the surface. Um, and just resting your head down and just try and relax all the muscles in the body as much as possible. And um, and then just when you get that urge to breathe, the aim from that point is actually to 
double the time mm-hmm. and throughout that process you you get that urge to breathe that contraction in the diaphragm yeah, and that's a, horrible a natural reaction which your body's telling you like just obviously you know many years of evolution have taught us that yeah. um you know you need to breathe yeah time to breathe yeah. and um you do have as you said a very long amount of time before you actually truly need to to breathe and so sure your your co2 levels are building up in that process mm. but in the controlled environment of the pool, you can you can push it, and um, yeah. and it is quite feasible to double that time from that first contraction. And you might have a few a wave of contractions, and then you just calm the mind, try and think about something else, and then that feeling can go away. And mm. then you might have another wave of tightness. And once you learn that it's actually okay and it's possible to ride through those those feelings, then that translates to the real world of diving because, you know, you might be 20 metres deep, you're mm. like, um, and you might need to have a breath. Well, guess what? You know, you know that you can, in the pool, um, hold your breath for a very long time and it only takes you roughly one metre per second for ascent and descent. So it's like 20 metres deep, about 20 metres to the surface. 20 so seconds. 20 seconds. And you're yeah. like, okay, well, I've done this before, it's fine. And so because your body knows that, you, and your brain, more importantly, knows that you can do this, you are more relaxed mm. in the water in the first place. Mm. And that's, for me, the breakthrough like that I had with, with my spearfishing journey was when I did that pool training, I realised that, okay, well, you can actually do this and um, and double your time quite quite easily. So... Having that confidence to know that if I if I have a contraction, I'm on the bottom, I'm 20 meters deep, even it's not urgent. It's not it's not the end of the world, and that actually helps you relax. And it's yeah. so it's a you know reinforcing you know self reinforcing cycle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's a that's a really comforting thing to have as as a spear fisherman. And you know, man, I I would have thought that a minute was an insane breath hold for me. Like you know. Until active, I'd done any, active breath hold type yeah thing. like yeah. I mean I'd, not you know, as a kid and as a teenager and stuff you, you, no even a static man like, yeah right you know, as a teenager and stuff you know you, you have breath holding competitions and stuff like yeah. driving over a bridge or whatever yeah 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 and um and I would have thought like after a minute I'm like freaking dum, 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 you gotta you know, you gotta yeah. breathe and then in the pool I um we did three nights in a row and even the first night I think I got like a minute thirty second night you know, two minutes something, and then the third night, three minutes thirty, and I was like, "Far out, man! That's yeah. insane!" And then, like, yeah, that, that's not lung capacity increasing yeah. in three nights. That, that's no, it's just the mental. Le- yeah, yeah, it's like a mental breakthrough, and um, and three nights for some reason seems to be the the magical, or three three sessions seems to be the magical number. But I think it's important you do them consecutively, back to back to back. Yep, and then um, and then again, like. I after doing that breath hold session, I didn't dive for probably four months. Mm. And, and spewing like thinking grow, I'm going to lose all my well, training. <laughs> I didn't really you know, felt, man. Yeah. And um, and growing up in his ear, like chasing um, pawa slash abalone um, and crayfish all my life, I would have thought three, four meters, five meters is a deep dive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and then so after four months of doing this pool training, never done any deep diving before, mm. went out. Um, with uh, with Wally from Buddy the diving shop up the road here, yeah, and he was also the one that did the um, breath hold training too. And um, we went out to one of the channel markers, and 
boom, 16 metres, man. Like, yeah. he dove first and he yeah. came up with the mull away. Yeah. And I'm like, no way. I want to get one of so them. So he had the stoke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, um, and then so, yeah, freaking swam down and then there's like 50 mull away just hanging out. 16 metres down and, yeah. and, and a little bit of time hanging around looking. Yeah, like, man, to be honest, these things were just like – I like, was there, right there, like just yeah. like literally, like you know, at least fifty, maybe a hundred of them in the school, just tightly packed. I was like, holy crap! Yeah, yeah. and um, boom, nailed this Malloway and um, mm. and swam up, and I was like, wow, that and was, was cool. sold. Yeah. yeah, man, it was it was so good, and um, and I just could not believe that I'd just done that <laughs> sixteen meters and shot a fish. Yeah, it's just like wow, and um. Yeah. And even also just the, the freaking out of sharks. I mean, you know, that was... Bro, it takes me, in blue water <laughs> especially, it takes me a solid hour. I generally steer away from any blue water diving these days. I'm happy to dive on the reefs. I'm happy mm. in like 6, 8, 10, 12 sort of max metres. But because of that thing, it takes me so long to calm, <laughs> calm my farm down mm. with the, the thought of sharks and that. But it makes a massive difference, isn't it, thinking about that kind it of does, shit. Man. yeah. But, I mean, on the note of sharks, I mean, you know, anyone listening, it's, I was probably no different to a lot of people who were, you know, apprehensive about jumping in the water, especially yeah. up here in the northwest. That, yeah. like, There's freaking sharks everywhere. <laughs> there is. You know, I've yeah. seen some of the sharks I've caught off the spoil bank, you know, some big bull sharks and stuff. I was yeah. like, wow, there's some decent sharks around. But yeah. once you jump in the water with them and you learn their behaviour, Mm. The best analogy I can come up with is that they're basically the dogs of the ocean. Mm. You know, like most people, if you're at someone's house, for example, um, and they've got a big dog. You're scared of it. Well, you might be scared of it. Once you're like in the backyard with the dog, with the owner, and the dog's just chilling, like, you know, you're, the dog's comfortable, you're comfortable with the dog, and it's fine. And well, that's what I mean. If you're scared of it, it's a different game as well. Well, exactly, yeah. If but you I walk mean, in, you're sketchy, and you're like, oh, no, it's going to bite me. Yeah, the dog looks at yeah. you and goes, look at this motherfucker. I'm going to get back with him. Yep. 100%, <laughs> yeah. I mean, some dogs are just super angry, and, um, you know, There's psychos some sharks are a every, bit every, like that Every too. species <laughs> has its psychos. <laughs> it does, yeah. And um, But, I mean, most of the time, you jump in the water, and um, especially up here, there's a bit of water clarity, and... Um, even on the crappy days, you know, like um, it's it's generally still good it's enough. And it's not as it's not as uh, as oh, what's the word? It, it's it's not. It doesn't feel as bad when you're underwater and you can see around than mm. when you're floating on top of the water. Yep. So even even on a surfboard, you're there with your little fucking legs just dangling down in the water, and you can can't see anything. Yep. You do feel like, and you are <laughs> a sitting duck when yep. you're under there and you can see around, especially when you've got a gun in your hand. You're a bit more in control. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You can see, you can yep. see. Oh, there's a shark right there. You like, but, but generally, I think, I mean, who not? They they tend to say, more or less, the sharks you see, uh, there's not really the problem anyway. If they don't, yeah. if they want to hunt you, you're probably not going to see them sitting there looking at you. The one you don't see, yeah. 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 But yeah. in saying that, I mean, like down south is a completely different kettle of fish with big grey whites and that. Uh, like, yeah. they do. But reckon... I, think, I still don't think you really see them, do you? They just come from 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 underneath or from the shadow, the murkier water. Yeah, and... I mean, like there's been some guys. Sparing, I guess you don't know. You like... don't really you don't really have any conversations with the dude who got yeah, attacked by yeah. a grey white, do you? But there's a fantastic video of a bloke, Joe Petrovich, um, and it went of a what joe petrovich this bloke he's in oh. um down in perth and he i thought you said a black joe petrovich oh, i thought was that a fucking kind of yeah, show no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no this bloke joe petrovich he had a uh, run-in with this great white in perth and he was a decent distance from his boat and it was a big white mm. like you're talking i think it was four plus meters it was a big beast and he's just 
having to prod this thing off and um, yeah, some pretty awesome footage all on GoPro and it went very much viral mm. and um, you know, Lad Bible and all the other um, pages and yeah, you know, like it's it's a funny one because there's some real people who are big sympathisers with sharks and I'm team people. Oh yeah, I'm team people, man. Whatever makes us safer yeah. I'm, uh, within reason, I'm down with that. Yeah. Sharks have an extremely important part to play in the ecosystem, and they're you know, also like, not they're also not uh, endangered. General? No, they're not. No, even from Department of Fisheries' own advice, um, great white population. Last time, the last study I saw, yeah. um, estimated there were between two and three thousand whites, great whites, off the WA coast. So, now, how it's much a do they move number. around? Uh, depends, they, man. Like a lot of them travel. That? Yeah, yeah. They they have tags and stuff. So like you know they've got a lot of tagged ones that, that sit off the beacons. So are, like, how, are, they, are they like hanging around the Perth Dude, and down south they tend region, to be, or are they going from South Australia to Perth? Some of them go across the South. They're going Africa, to South Africa man. and yeah, back like here. Yeah, they and even um, coming down, over here with that kind of attitude. Yeah, Chatham yeah, Islands, South, is South, South African Saffers. attitude. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and freaking freaking Kiwis too, man. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Is it, are they, are they, are they an issue off, off um, Chatham Islands? Yeah, yeah. I'm a Kiwi, by the way. For yeah. anyone, listening. I can tell. I can mm. tell. <laughs> Just a little bit. Um, Choice. There, there's. So, what kind of water do they like? They obviously like the cooler water. Is it gets too cold for them? Um, yeah, I don't really know how far south they go, but I mean Chatham Islands off. Um, off like far east of NZ, um, that's pretty cold water. They hang out there. Um, Stewart Island, bottom of the South Island, that's like you know, eight ten degree water yeah. um, routinely. So, so what's the deal with South Africa? It must just be real deep because you wouldn't think of South Africa as having yeah. Cold you've water. got I can't remember the name of the current, but there is a current that comes yeah, up um, okay. from Antarctica ways, I guess. Yeah, so, right um, yeah, it does. It is pretty cold there where they hang out too. But yeah, um, yeah you know, like. Those things are, they are a wild animal, you know, they are impressive, they are beautiful um, in their own respect, but they're still an unpredictable wild animal and I feel that a lot of people sugarcoat them, you know, like, it's like, you know, they don't like to eat people. It's like, well, maybe the small ones don't, but if mm. you look at most of the, sh- of the white shark attacks here in WA, um, probably about 50% of them, the shark is finishing the victim off. Yeah. Um, you know, and fortunately for us, whites up in this part of the world are, are a rarity. I have heard of of being spotted in Dampier, so I guess it's not that much more of a stretch to say they could be off headland, but theoretically, if you got a shark, a great white shark coming this far up north, you wouldn't think that he's top of his food chain. No, exactly. There's a reason I mean, he's coming this far, and, and I yep. think it's a little bit the same with the crocodiles coming down this far too. Eh? You're not going to get some big four and a half meter croc. Oh, fucking yeah! Hopefully not a big four and a half croc. I no... don't think so because the idea with them, right, is that, is that they're territorial, so yeah. the smaller ones get kicked out of the creek yep. systems, and they go, oh fuck, I'll move, I'll move a bit mm-hmm. further down. They go in there. There's another big croc, and then they go, oh shit, I'll mm-hmm. go down a bit further. Yeah. Well, it's time they get all the way down to Port Edelin, you got this little, you know, two two metre east little. Mm. They're probably not man eaters at that at that at that size either. No, That's why I, no one really sees them. There's definitely crocodiles down here hanging mm, around here. Yeah. Definitely. But oh, we're not been, st- yeah. yeah, they've been spotted yeah. in the port. But so. if we're not seeing yeah. them often, mm. it's because they're not hunting people. Yeah. They're hunting yep. like smaller uh, fish. Yep. Oh, absolutely, man. And this is come full one hundred percent bro science from me right now. So yeah. just <laughs> full full disclosure. No idea what I'm talking about. I have heard though it makes that sense it's some, to me though. Yeah, I've heard that they need a bit of temperature to actually um 
Yeah, to actually be able to breed in it as well, and a decent river system, so which we don't have here locally. Degray, obviously, they do, and I've heard of some rumours of big crocs even quite far upstream in the in the mm. Degray. But um, yeah, I don't know. Um, but yeah, on the note of the great whites, they they follow the whale migration, so. Um, Hanging around waiting for a dead whale to feast on Dead whale or afterbirths apparently So um, you know the, the fresh calves Afterbirths and the old whales Which are getting a bit tired in that as well So yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a it's a smorgasbord of whale And I'd like to think when they're up in this part of the world That they're you know Well looked after with whales <laughs> Mother nature is a motherfucker isn't it mm, Indeed man hey, We're also worried about what we're doing to the animals But yeah. um, as has been pointed out by many hunters um, it's, it's, it's a brutal world out there man Not many it is. I mean, you just mentioned whales. Yeah, they're, they're up sort of not so much top of the food chain, but they're one of the larger, um, uh, less uh, less vulnerable animals on Earth. But in general, generally speaking, in the wild, not a lot of animals dying of old age. Mm. No, exactly. I mean, not a lot of animals just dying no, of natural causes. They're dying yeah. of either infection violence. or yeah. violence. Yeah, and <laughs> in either case, it's not pretty. It's long. It's it's prolonged, and mm. it's you know, yeah. I mean, which def- comes back to the hunting mm. thing, man. Like, yeah. Um, obviously, we're, we're we're all for it, going for the, the carnivore diet. And I think mm-hmm. we spoke about this last time, but that that whole idea of um, yeah, okay, factory farming shit ass, and we should definitely be moving forward, mm-hmm. looking at different regenerative farming and different different practices, um, just for the even for the sake of preserving the, the soil condition of the earth. Yep. We know that the way that farming and especially monocrop farming and all that is is taking place at the moment. We're destroying. I think they say we've got about sixty years left of usable soil on earth if we continue farming practices the way we're doing right now mm. i think a lot of that is actual agriculture uh, uh like um you know fruit veg not so much um animals but but um hunting for your own meat i mean it's it's one bad day for an animal and if the hunter's um uh good at what he's doing it's it's one mm. it's one bad minute exactly of yeah. that animal's life yeah. rather than, again rather than being attacked by some other animal and, and just torn apart mm. you know Depending, oh, on, depending on what, what kind of ecosystem you, you're talking about. But if you're in North America and you're a large uh, moose or a deer or something like that and you get caught by a bear, he's going to probably break your back and then eat your ass first while you mm-hmm. while you slowly die and bleed out. So a bullet to the head or the shoulder, not the head, but to the to the vitals, yep. it's probably not a, um, a bad way to go out. Eh? Oh, 100%, man, yeah. I mean, and interestingly as well, that based on some military studies on... Um, on soldiers who've actually had fatal gunshot wounds mm. that if you've got a fatal gunshot wound your body goes into shock immediately and there's been you know like i said get studies the done on it get the old dmt and trip happening yeah Start i guess running so. through a kaleidoscope yeah. wonderland um but yeah they don't feel pain and uh, i mean most of us have probably experienced that if you've ever had huge a huge really amounts of pain becomes yeah. overwhelming and all of a sudden different mechanisms of the body kick in you mm. don't feel all that pain yeah in, i mean in the in the moment You've cut yourself really badly with a knife before. Yeah. And it's just like more shock than anything, right? You're yeah. not like, ow! Looking at the white flesh it's like, going, what's whoa, going on there? Okay, yeah. And um, I, I sincerely believe that it's the same as well. If you've if you've shot an animal, um, it would be shock straight away, much like a, a fatal bullet wound for human on these military studies. Or There seems to be a bit of a, definitely a discrepancy in that when it comes to um, breaking bones. It doesn't seem to have the same sort of... Uh, you're not spared of you're not so spared from that initial pain when you break a bone or dislocate something. It's a bit of a different thing. Mm. A flesh wound 
seems to be different for some reason. Maybe it's yeah, more nerve, right. yeah. nerve, nerve material involved in it, but you break, mm. you snap something in half or dislocate something. Yeah, yeah you know yep. about it straight away. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and you've sure. got to wait for the shot to yep. kick in because you're like, oh, my God, I can't mm. put up with this kind of pain. Yep. And then, like, it takes a little while for you. Yeah. The, the, the shock and all that to kick mm. in and, yeah. But mm. so, but I know what you mean. Flesh yep. wounds definitely seem to to be a bit different like yep. that. And they do reckon as well that non-fatal bullet wounds, like say soldiers being shot in the knee or elbow or something, mm. it's it's sore, more and painful. Yeah. yeah. Um. And hey, you know, like sometimes when you're hunting, things don't go to plan, and that's I guess the intention is never that. Mm. Um. Of course, it's never that. You know, hunters have utmost respect for animals. It's um, not what I see on the Disney cartoons. Oh, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah. They're all irresponsible um, pricks. Yeah, anthro anthropomorphiza anthropomorphization. Yeah. I think is the term, or, yeah, or yeah, along yeah. those lines, along those lines um, of animals. Basically, turning an animal into a human figure is um, is what they try and do. And like um, uh, Winnie the Pooh, mm. He's just a friendly honey loving bear. Yeah, it wouldn't rip your face off. Exactly. You know, but um, but the reality is different. Yeah. So anyway. Um, like I say, hunting, I feel that even if things don't go to plan, you know, in nature, mate, animals get ripped and then get away all the time. And, yeah. and it's it's not nice. And I feel like we are conscious beings and, and we have a responsibility to avoid that at all costs. So yep. I'm not trying to downplay that at all because as a hunter, I've had a couple of times where I've, even maybe my gear failures, for example, a loose screw on my scope when I was rifle hunting and I've like, couldn't believe it. I was like, why the hell is that deer not falling over? And it turned out I had a loose screw on my scope. On my scope and um, and so I was aiming way off and right. I, I clipped this thing's leg and I felt terrible, man. And I looked for it for hours and hours and hours. And, you tell me about that. Story. You know, like it just sucked. And, um, you know, I just had that pit in my stomach and, you know. You shot this thing and yeah, they're right you know, it's, injured, yeah. It's not nice, but ultimately, you know, like. It wasn't the intention. You do everything you can in your power to make sure that doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah. And you learn from it as well. And, you yeah. know. But again, like it's funny because in New Zealand you've got animals, um, in particular that's where I grew up and, and where I did a lot of hunting and um, the Department of Conservation there with wild, with wild deer, for example, they will drop 1080 poison um, widespread. Oh, that's pleasant. And, oh, dude, it's so brutal. And there's a big debate about it in New Zealand, but, um, you know, don't go into the ethics too much, but, um, yeah, like, you know, it's... The animals have a very slow, horrible death from the poisoning, and that yeah. happens on a huge scale. And you know, regardless of what happens with a shot animal, I think it's nowhere near um, the the extent of suffering that those Slowly animals dying have from poison. Yeah, and in fact, they knotting up and twisting. It exactly. Up and, yeah, they also wow. use 1080 poison here for fox control as well. Canines yeah. in particular are extremely susceptible um, to 1080 poison, and I've had some mates down in Margaret River yeah, whose dogs dog, have eaten it. Imagine yeah, that. and oh. 
you know, like for anyone who's a dingo lover out there, um, you know, dingoes are canines too. Yeah. You know, they were brought over here by people, what, 10,000 years ago? Yeah. And, um, you know, they're also a, a dog. And um, yeah. when they're they drop 1080 around here, they get smoked by that as well. Yeah. And um, dogs in particular, like chatting to my mates whose dog was was killed by the by the 1080, it was a very, very horrible oh, thing. Oh, imagine. You know, frothing at the mouth and convulsing and, and yeah. just, yeah, the it's poor thing just stressful for all involved, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think when it comes to hunting, man, um, and it's funny because you don't get the same reaction for fishing or spear fishing, eh? Like, mm. have, have you ever had anyone say, I can't believe you shoot fish? I know, yeah. Well, you know what? <laughs> Sometimes, though, you do see people when they see someone with a photo of a big marlin. Oh, if or it's a beautiful fish. Yep. Or yeah. a beautiful fish, yep. But like you know, a big the sailfish or something. Yeah, sailfish, yep. Even though they're like, they go to maturity in like five years, they're one of the most prolific sort of fish in the ocean. They they're are. definitely in, they're in no, they're in no danger of, of being fucking, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the numbers run down or anything like that. They look beautiful, so you can't yep. shoot them. Exactly. And um, it's, a, it's, you know, I, don't, I understand why people think like that because, you know, it's like, if you don't understand what the animals and the background of the fish is, then, it's a natural thing. You're like, oh man, this is a big, beautiful old animal because it's so big. Yeah. It's like they're actually highly sustainable, very fast growing, and most spear fishermen don't target billfish. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot of guys will. It's more of an opportunity. Yeah, exactly. If I, thing, yeah. mate, I'll tell you what, I would, I would love to shoot a, um, a sail for sure, a marlin one day. But I it's, told you about my story with them, eh? With nah, the sailfish. Don't know. Oh, so. Years ago now, it would have been 2014, 15 or something, yeah, 14 or something like that. Went out with a couple of local lads, you know, Zam, Zam, Mokta yeah. and Lukey. And um, we weren't, yeah, it's the same thing. We weren't going out targeting, targeting um, sailies, but there, we just, we seen a school, fi- a school of them on the way out. Oh, man, there's sailfish around. Threw a couple of lures in and shit like that. No, 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 no luck. Then we went out further and hit another school of them. We're like, fucking, let's, let's jump in. So um, me and one of the boys... Jumped in, I jumped in um, first and just happened to land sort of right next to the school of them and I wasn't ready, gun wasn't loaded or anything. I was like, jumped in, I was like, oh shit, like quickly, so I'm super, I'm, I'm amateur now and this was even a few, several years ago, so even more amateur, started loading my gun up and then, I, and this fish was sort of, well, you're here, it was made the fruit bowl away, so it's probably two and a half metres away, like super easy shot, especially for a fish that size. And didn't calm myself down or anything. I didn't know the temperament of the fish. I was expecting him to just fuck off at any second, yeah. you know. And then I uh, sort of quickly low, uh, aimed and shot at him, and my my spear hit his kind of flank and and rebounded off, and he took off. And I was like, "Fuck!" And then the current sort of hit me, and I was away from the school. And one of the other fellas had swam over to the right spot, and then I I watched him shoot it. And they're much more experienced spear fishermen, and he was there was four or five of them sort of sitting there just. Just looking at him because yeah. they were thinking, "What's this? What's he?" And he just aimed, looked at one, bang, shot it. Um, more or less stoned it, and then he pulled that up. And then one of the one of the other lads jumped in a little bit later because we found a third school. He jumped in and, and shot another one. We actually had to shoot that with two spears to get it up because he didn't hit it in the right. You know, he didn't, didn't stone it. It took yeah, off yeah. and gave him a real big fight. They were like fifty kilo fish. One was forty eight. One was fifty two kilo. Wow. Something like that. Yeah, yeah big fish. And they pulled them both in, man. And I just, and we didn't see any more after that. And I completely bungled my chance. It was like a, <laughs> not a very, not a, not very often you get a chance to shoot a fish like that, you mm. know. And I was right there, man. If I just, again, 
even if I'd have seen them have a shot at it first, because these fish were not running away. They weren't going anywhere. Yeah, they were but you just expected them just those fast looking yep. fish, aren't they? I was expecting them to look at you and, and then Choom. just take off. Yep. But they were so they were like intrigued as to what mm. we were. They were sitting there, this one big eye just looking at you like, what the fuck's this thing? And then you literally sit there, aim the spear at them, boof, and <laughs> just shoot. <laughs> but you know, I missed my chance, and I was a bit spewing about that. But I was there. I got to I got to see it all go down and. Help him bring that second fish in, and mm. um, it was a pretty cool, pretty cool day, man, and pretty amazing bloody fish. Mm. We'll get there, man. Yeah. yeah. Well, when we get the fads out. Yeah. Well, um, let's let's yeah. let's, let's, <laughs> let's get to that. Jeez, man, we're fifty minutes in. We've, <laughs> this is the whole reason why we said let's do the podcast. Well, yeah, it was an excuse, mate, yeah. to get you back on. Yeah, here, yeah. So. Mm. <laughs> anyway, we'll have to. Um, Dave will have to include in the um, notes just so that people can avoid yep. avoid fifty minutes of bullshit to get to the part they actually want to listen to. Mate, this, pod, no, this, this podcast and that's what it's all about. <laughs> Is it even a podcast if there's no bullshit? Yeah, true. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, so fads. Mm. So you've put together a proposal um, that's been sent to what town of Port Hedland, Wreckfish West. Um, who else? What else? What's um, leaders from there? Yeah, well. Basically, um, for quite a few years, I could see the potential of an artificial reef and fads. For anyone not familiar with the term fad, um, fish aggregating device, which is basically a, a big float in the ocean, which is anchored to the um, to the seabed on a big mooring chain. Um, so, I thought they'd go really well off headland and. Knowing that Rickfish West had installed, so Rickfish West, by the way, is the uh, the state recreational fishing representative body. So they're basically a a not for profit organisation that represents the interests of of fishermen around the state of West Australia, and they do a fantastic job for advocating. So um, not a regulatory body, but they're a, not. A... Yeah, but they're a highly respected organisation with um, you know some highly educated people, yeah. um, you know, marine biologists, doctors, mm. and things like that, and um, and they provide a lot of advice to the government for policy decisions yep. and, and local governments and whatnot as well. So they've been responsible for, I'm fairly certain, every single artificial reef that's gone in around the state of West Australia so far. Um, the FADS situation is interesting. The, the Perth Game Fishing Club were the first ones to put FADS out off right the coast of WA. Yeah. And in their initial approval, they only got permission to put them out for I think six months or so of the year during the summer months yeah um in hindsight I was chatting to one of the blokes from the club and he said they wish they had to put their approvals for the whole year because it turns out that with the game fishing club approvals the later end of the season when the big fish are just starting to go around and all these um fish have grown quite big around the fads yeah is when they have to pull them in so you know like they obviously avoid the winter storms and I think that was the logic behind it yeah. but with all the mooring gear and, and, you know, big enough anchor, strong enough rope, you can put them out, you know, through, all year round. And that, um, yeah. the same logic applies to Port Hedland. So, that, so technically they'd still be there next year. Yeah, they would be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. And you'd still have to ring them in periodically to clean them off and, you know, yeah. too much marine growth on them, they could start, you know, increase the risk of breakaways and, and getting too heavy. Yeah. Um, and yeah. obviously affecting the buoyancy. So. Yeah. There is a time when you have to bring them in for servicing, but, you know... Um, Not every six months. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> when <laughs> and, um, the fish are starting to really get nice yeah. and ripe. So, yeah, so Rickfish West has led the charge for this around the state, and I'm like, well, when I first moved to WA, geez, what was that, about 2008 or 2009, um, 
the fishing fees were 50 bucks or something a year. There was no such thing as a recreational fishing licence back then. You just had to get a licence for abalone and um, netting and mm. crayfish. And it was like 50 or 80 bucks covered you for everything. Yeah. Then the fees got jacked a fair bit. And um, hey, fair enough, like the money's actually going back into the management of those of those things. So yeah. it's, it's, I, I think it's a good investment. Yeah. Um, well, money's going to come from somewhere, doesn't it? Exactly. And part of that rec- went towards this recreational fishing fund initiative where they funded various reefs, things like that. And I moved up to Headland, you know, 10 or so years ago. Right. And I'm going, man, like we're Just paying these paying fishing it. fees. What are these guys doing for us up yeah. there? Freaking nothing. So yeah. I started lobbying Reckfish West and I wasn't really in a good position to implement much change. And then once I got involved with the um, Spear Fishing Club, then I was like, okay, well... Now we've actually got a some sort of an organised body here to yeah. to push this agenda a little bit harder. Yeah. Um, and also through my employment, um, I was also able to you know access um, you know better not say my employer in case yeah. I get in trouble. Yeah. But um, I was I mean, able to I access. Never, I never say mine either. Yeah, mate. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I keep it ambiguous. I was able to access um, you know certain people that would also help with the uh, with the approval side of things as well. Hmm. Um, so. You know, because I think in the past there'd been a few a few bottlenecks in this area. So mm. with me being there, oh, to, in Headland, yeah, bottlenecks. Don't be silly. No, it's sound very out of character. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Everything runs smooth as chips around mm. here, and things that need to happen <laughs> just happen. Indeed. A- anyway, keep going. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, um, basically, it was about two years or so ago. Um, I started campaigning a lot stronger for this, put together a proposal um, on behalf of the Spearfishing Club mm. um, and then a couple of us from the club went and presented to the... Was that two years ago? Yeah, man. Fucking hell, crazy, eh? Yeah. Um, yeah, so we presented to the town of Port Hedland. We also, um, prior to that, we touched base with Reefish West and, and said, hey, you know, let's make this happen and um, we think there's probably a fair bit of support in the community for this. Mm. Um, so, yeah, and... Genuinely, man, like I think it's a fantastic thing for the town. If we can get an artificial reef and some and some fads out here, it'd be great. Like, it's so actually, were you were you was the original um, proposal for two artificial reefs and one fads? That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, one in close, one a bit further out, and then a fads in the in the deep water as well. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So my vision is one nearshore reef, one reef that's a little bit further out and slightly deeper water, just to increase the range of species available. Yeah. And then the fads tend to perform better in slightly deeper water, so mm. you know, twenty-five meters plus type of thing. Yeah. Um, off broom, they've had some fads for about two years, yeah. and they've been getting a lot of success with mahi mahi and um, I think triple tail and sailies, selfish, yeah. um, in the shallow water off there. So there's a really good precedent to say that our Port Hedland fads will be highly productive. When I think you say shallow water, how shallow is oh, it? Oh, like a broom I there. I think the shallowest one in broom might be 20 metres or yeah, something. Okay. So, um, so, yeah, similar sort of water. And yeah. um, at this stage, um, it's yet to be finalised, but I would like to think we're on the cusp of approval. Um, basically, the proposal at this stage is three on the western side of the channel. Sort of out near Turtle Island way. Yep. And then, and that's when you you say western side. Oh, of the sorry, channel. sorry, eastern side, Turtle Island. Rather, get my directions okay. right. When you and, and, um, and I know that it's for people who are familiar with the, the the landscape and everything up here. It seems very straightforward, but a lot of times people get confused with that. So you say the eastern side. That means up towards Broome. That's basically what 
especially if anyone from down south, you'd think of the northern side of, of Headland is actually the eastern side, the way that we Correct. sit, the way up the, up the coast up towards Broome, mm. on, the, on the, the Broome side of the channel. Correct, yeah, and then three on the uh, on the western side or the Carrather side of the channel. Yeah, um, and the idea is that um, it will also complement the reef. And the reefs um, proposed, the offshore reef is proposed to be situated just off the back of Cornelly Shoal, so which is out near the entrance of the channel. Yeah, um, the good like the good thing about that location is that it's about twenty one meters chart datum, which means basically the lowest astronomical tide. It will be twenty meters yeah, to the okay. bottom. Yeah, is what chart data means. Um, so, so anywhere from yeah from that to twenty seven sort of meters generally. Yeah, basically. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And um, and but in saying that, um, I've been speaking to Reefish West about the design of this thing and trying to go for a what's what they call a high relief structure, which is basically a very tall structure, like a fish tower type of approach. Oh yeah. So, so I'm hoping we can get something that's too. yeah. I'm hoping we can get something that's like five to seven metres high, which means it's still a fairly deep dive to get yeah. down to it, yeah. but still, like, I would imagine, you know, achievable for a lot of divers, especially if you can put some sort of a, a drop line on it so you know exactly where the, where the structures are. Too. Yeah. yeah. Um, what do you mean by a drop line? Uh, you can get, like, little float lines with a so with there'd a be something on the, the bottom. surface and you yeah, can yeah, yeah. follow that chain follow down. Follow the line down, yeah. And that just helps, you know, especially with those deeper dives, even... Yeah, diving channel helps markers. with the mental thing as well. I noticed diving on yep. the markers, I can get down to 16 metres a lot easier than just diving in open water and going, yep. how the fuck, how far am I down here? Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. And I feel like with time, the deeper dives get easier um, without some sort of a visual guide. But yep. even for me, like it's still, yeah. It's nice. Yeah, it is, man. It's nice yeah. thing there. It is easier. <laughs> just yeah. a thing. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> just a reference point. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so the plan is, um, yeah, do that. Um, cost of this thing. Well, for starters, we've um, got some recycled materials. They call mm. it materials of opportunity mm. uh, lined up to use on this thing. So, materials um, of opportunity. I know, yeah, yeah. Very, very um, politically correct <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. terminology, isn't it? Um, but obviously these things have to get approved by, um, by environmental types. So, you know, yep. you have to use appropriate language. Yes, um, yep. So, yeah, basically um, there are some, one of the bigger entities in town has already thrown approximately 250 grand behind this. I cannot say who at this yep. stage um, because, yeah, it's all, you know, non-public information, but yep. they've already funded the design and approvals phase, which is freaking awesome. It's awesome. And, yeah, and yeah. things are sounding very promising in the fad space um, by the same entity as well. Yeah. Um, you know, time will tell when that's um, when that's released to the public. Um and so what yeah, sort of so investment are we talking about for I would I would imagine that the fads are, are a cheaper investment than the reef. Absolutely, yeah. So yeah. the fads, um, it turns out there's some Reefish West have got some spare fads in Perth. Just so lying around. Just lying around. Because just trim them up to the right height well, and anchor them down, mate. The, the cool thing is that um, they're actually quite big fads. Um, yeah. And the issue they had off Perth is that these things, they struggled to find enough decent-sized workboats to actually drop out the oh, anchoring and mooring gear. I but we'd have some of them guess, <laughs> guess who's got some big, big, yeah. big marine vessels around here? I reckon there'd be here. some of those around here. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, so it's a really good opportunity for the town to have some decent-sized fads. And they sound like materials of opportunity as well. They do, <laughs> indeed, yeah. So... Um, 
In fact, I've actually fished off them, um, the Rigfish West fads, when I was off um, Perth. When they, um, so you had the Got originally the Rotto ones? Yeah, so you have the um, wh- Perth wh- Game Fishing Club, and then Rigfish West put two out. One was a surface fad, and one was a subsurface. Mm. This surface fad is the same one that we've got potentially and hopefully lined up for here. Um, those that was the most productive fad I fished on off the Perth coast because it was just such a big structure. So if it was a surface fad up here, what kind of species would you be looking to attract? Um, all going to plan mahi mahi, um, tuna, sailfish, Spanish mackerel, triple tail, um, possibly black marlin. Yeah, um, and. I don't really know what else, but hey, you got to be happy with that. And yeah. mahi mahi, especially, I think is the the number one target from my personal perspective. Like, it's just such an amazing fish. Yep. And um, what sort of what's that, that's wahoo, yeah? No, oh, and wahoo. Sorry, sorry. yeah, that's yeah. also an option and too. Wahoo yeah, yeah, as well. Yeah. Yep. So what's um, the, I'm just having a blank. What's the other name for mahi mahi? Uh, dolphin fish. Dolphin fish. Yep. Okay, that, yeah, in, there we go. Yeah. And Samoa's mussy mussy. Uh, um, yeah. So what sort of ge- like geographical area would you be talking about these fads? How many fads is there? What kind of area are you talking about? Like, so how many people would be, you know, theoretically out there fishing at the same time comfortably? Well, I mean, you've got... I know that's a big question. In total, but, yeah, you know, so they've got um, potentially lined up subject to, um, to funding, um, six fads available. Uh, so basically you'd... You know, from experience in Perth, you could generally handle a couple of a couple of boats at each fad at any one time, which yep. I think would still certainly not really cause too much of an issue up here. Not up um, here, wouldn't it? Nah, it's um, even in Perth. I mean, they've they've gotten away with um, you know six fads in Perth, which has far more people um, for a rats. very long time. Like rats yeah. down there. <laughs> but now Rickfish West has actually expanded their fad network a lot in the metro waters, and they've even got some down off Albany. Yeah, right. um, yeah, so anyway, without digressing too much, but Mahi Mahi is probably the number one fish. They got yellowfin tuna off the Perth ones too. Yeah, um, I would like to think we could attract some tuna species. You've got like Mac tuna, long tail tuna, and potentially big eye and yellowfin tuna. I like how you call it tuna, not, not tuna. tuna. Tuna, yeah. Well, tuna. I feel is, like that's what Arnold Schwarzenegger would call it. Uh, tuna, tuna, tuna fish. <laughs> <laughs> I've had this conversation with with my wife Emily some many times, but I'm um, a stickler for pronunciation of yes. different words, and don't mind me. Well, you know what? It's um, Not I believe right. I believe Polynesian in origin, yeah, and um, R E E O U, and uh, so tuna, tuna, I believe, is uh, more probably, grammatically right. correct. I'm an Aussie so, mate. We butcher mm, all sorts of words. Yeah, don't worry yeah. about that. Anyway, but um. <laughs> We'll, we'll Google that one after this. <laughs> if anyone's listening, please Google. Tuna. And, uh, yeah, comment yeah. on Dave's... It's um, not a tuna. Comment on Dave's Instagram and tell him how wrong he is. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so basically, um, yeah, the Mahi Mahi in particular, they are known as the, the rabbits of the ocean because they are highly... I don't know how you pronounce it. Mm. Fecund, I think it is. Um, basically, highly reproductive fish. Fecund. And, yes, and uh, they grow up to 30 centimetres a year um, and they are extremely abundant and ex- more importantly extremely delicious and beautiful looking fish too. Fecund, producing or capable of producing an abundance of offspring or new growth, highly fertile. Well you know what Mr. Mr. Robbie, I, um, 
I love a good word. I love a mm. I love a new word. <laughs> I love the 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 use of a word like that that I haven't been able to slip into my everyday life. So mm. the next within the next two weeks. I'll be dropping fecund. <laughs> yes. as a, it's somewhere in somewhere in in conversation. I think there's a the plural that I saw when I was talking that in fecund fecundility. What's the point? Ah, very nice. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Fecundity. 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 Is that the um, ability to produce many offspring? Is it, or what is that? Uh, uh, Fecundity mm. is the capability of an individual population to produce offspring, whereas fertility is the number of offspring produced by the population or the individual. Mm. Fecundity sounds <laughs> nice. sounds naughty. Love <laughs> 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 it. Yes. So anyway, we have a highly f- uh, a fish with uh, high levels of fecundity. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> In this part of the world, which also happen to taste delicious, mahi-mahi fish tacos, if you've never had them, oh, my God, just mind-blowing, man. And um, I haven't had mahi. No, I've had mahi-mahi that you've prepared for me. I can't remember if we had it in fish tacos or if you you did Mm. it. Yeah, well, actually, yeah, I did shoot one off here once. I'm just spearing it in the the deep blue. Yeah, man. Was it it fish tacos or did you do it as ceviche? Probably fish tacos. No, oh, yeah, ceviche has, um, yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah. It's a it's a beautiful fish, man, and mm. um, yeah, and it just it just oh Big man, head. I just cannot Before wait to get them, and they smoke up beautifully as well. So mm. I'm really excited to get on that, and also, man, like um, with the fads, I feel like it really well compl- um, complements the sportbank marina because you know it opens up a whole lot of game fishing opportunities to Port Edland, and you know you got all these boat pens. It's like, well, there's not much of an incentive to own a massive boat that you're going to keep in a pen up here. But mm. if you can actually create a world-class game fishing destination and have Port Hedland. And then have some actual, yeah, some um, recreational fishing charters and stuff that leave out of Hedland and stuff man. like that. Yep. And then a reason for people to come here yep. and go off those boats. And then, mm. then you'd have a reason to keep one of those boats here and et cetera, et cetera. Absolutely, yep. And heaven knows we need something in town, man. Especially I know, things, man. You can't even put Damn your kids it. in basketball here yep. anymore because that's closed down. Basketball's yeah. closed down. The, the soccer dam near closed down. The cafes are all shut and the pubs mm. are closing down. Uh, I'm not going to get into that right now. Anyway, yeah, it's, mm. it's, this town needs some... Needs some, stuff, man, to keep it weird. People are freaking mate. leaving town, man. Like, I know some long-term... Even guys who've grown up and girls who've grown up yep. here, and they're like, yep. man... They're over it. They're done. I'm freaking over it. They're and done. it's just crap. Because you know, the like, shit that's been... The squeeze yep. that's been put on this state to protect the industry that predominantly <sighs> comes out of this town mm. is predominantly affecting the livelihoods of people living in this town. It's it crazy. Is, yeah. Yeah. We are we are feeling anything that's volunteer driven or that's low low income driven, you know, like for, mm-hmm. for the workers and stuff. We are, they're just they're leaving in droves. They're shutting they down. They can't get workers. It's bloody terrible, mate. Mm. So yeah, yeah. So yeah, things like this. I mean, the reef is not the answer to keeping people in town, but I mean, fishing is a fishing is a big it's a part. Nice Long term uh, investment, is, though. Yeah, it and, is. And, and it why just... would you have like? It's, everyone's always said this. It's a town with this the fishing culture that we got here. You can't even go and buy fresh fresh fish and chips in, in, mm. in this town. Yep. You've got to have a bloody fish truck that parks up down at Dreamers yeah, Corners. Everyone exactly. goes and gets their frozen fish from. It's ridiculous. Mm. It is ridiculous, man. But, yeah, so I guess the other thing, good thing about this this whole setup, um, both the fads and the artificial reef itself, is mm. that um, it takes pressure off the rest of the reef. So I read the other day, I think they are talking about well, they've said it before in the past too, but they talk about 30,000 people on Port Hedland in another 20 or so years. So, you know, 
roughly a double or even a bit more of the current population. So mm. having things like this who's, sets us up for the future as well. Who's saying that? Uh, Tanapo Heathen projections, I think. So you know, well, they want to mm. talk to their to their mates with the orange shirts because they're fucking moving everyone back down to Perth well, and making them yeah. fly, fly out town <laughs> yeah, again know, instead, mate. So I don't yeah. know. We're going the wrong way at the, mm. at the moment. Seems to be an exodus to Caratha as well at the moment. Is um, there? Yeah, yeah. It's a fair few mates of mine have been in town for a long time who are leaving this place. It's an exodus, um, and it's not yeah. just the exodus, mm. but it's it's literally them. They're still pushing yeah. on with this whole fly and fly out. Yeah, theme. it's some. Um, it's wrong, man. Like. Yeah, I was really hoping that COVID might be the start of a of a new same. Um, yeah, that's of what a I new thought. It like workforce it was going to be. They'll manage the risk, man. Like it's such a no brainer. But you know, again, trying to attract people up here. And, but in and a long term, this is a this is a multi billion dollar not just and it's not just mm. one company, but you know we know who the big boys in town. It's a multi billion dollar corporation. Like surely you've got 30, 40, 50 year plans for this company. Mm. Doesn't that involve? Building a sustainable, thriving town around your main point of, of, of production? One would hope so, man. Instead of just flying people in and out. This isn't a temporary setup here. I know. They're yep. not shutting shop in the next mm. 15 years or something. Yep. Just why the hell wouldn't you move people mm. here, build the infrastructure around it, put the money into the place? This it's not. It's a two-hour plane ride from Perth. If you have people here in affordable plane, uh, affordable flights and make this a town where people want to be, it's very, very... Uh, Reasonable that a lot of those people who can't make a great life for themselves in Perth will just move here. Mm-hmm. But if you have the option to just work here and fly home, that's what they're going to do. Exactly. Yeah. Um, keep, but, me on, yeah. keep me on track, bro. Keep I know, I know, man. Get back to the yeah. fish. I mean, like, yeah. So <laughs> I love Port Heathland. I love the community. I think the the strength in Port Heathland are the people. You the know, people freaking, are the, the people, strength, mate. Yeah, man. Like it's just it's just a unique place where you've got such a good sense of community and community and people so who sad. live in cities don't understand what yep. that is, man. Yep. And it's just so sad that we don't have more stuff to go with it, and we need more stuff to go with it if we're going to be sustainable long term and make this town strong. And a reef is a part of that, but there needs to be a whole lot of other stuff too. It's and definitely I, and something, mate. And, and yeah. I, I don't know about you, but I feel like um, definitely my family, we do this. Like we hibernate for like four months of the year, mm. five months yep. of the year, where it's yeah. just nothing to do. You just go inside, you put your head down. And it's hard to get through those months, man. Like there's a part mm. of the year here where we thrive, we flourish, it's beautiful. You can go outside, you want to be outside. You look out your window and you're like, I need to fucking be out there. And you're out there doing something. Going out bush, going fishing, desk, going for a walk on the beach, whatever it is. Spending time in the garden. But there's a period of time here where you just go to work, you get home, yep. you have a shower, you put the aircon on, you like, fuck that, I'm mm. not going out there again. And I describe the weather here, man, as um, eight months of heaven and four months of hell. Yep. As a general rule of thumb. Yep. I mean, like, and the longer you've been up here, geez, man. You know, again, 10 years or so. You start getting anxiety when the summer's coming around. You know, know, like a couple of months out, you're thinking about it. You know what's funny though, bro? I think to myself, I'm like, man, like I remember those days sweating and I'm just like, how do I even do that? But guess what? It rolls around and you just freaking deal with it, you know, and then before you know it, it's another winter. And and then you got eight months of freaking glorious, amazing weather that the rest of the like country rest of the world would envy so yeah yeah it's like, true it's um it's not all bad and um you know and it is kind of the great balancer because it if, is. It, if it was that yeah. like that all year round it would be swamped by perth rats yep. that'd all be up here 100 percent. yep and also it gives you a new you know like i think with any worthy pursuit in life there's an element of suffering and um 
I think that it's true. that it makes you tough time makes you appreciate it, and I think it's it's good to have that contrast. And I think you know, like that's a a good way to think about it. It's true. You know? but it would be nice to have like some indoor, um, mm. some indoor, uh, uh, you know, activities yeah, we could yeah. partake like in. Trampolines, climbing walls, maybe a bowling alley. Actually, Movie, I read yeah, the other day yeah. Roburn was talking Movie. about a climbing thing and bowling alley in Roburn, which yeah, is cool. Not so going there for that. Yeah, um, yeah. movie theater, <laughs> <laughs> movie theater. <laughs> You know, like some some decent pubs that you go mm. to. You know, like that yeah. aren't all shutting down and shit. Yeah. So, what do you reckon the what do you reckon the percentage of the chance that this is all going to happen is, and the time frame and, and all that sort of shit? I know that's um, again, oh know, speculating a wee bit, but it, I mean dark, um, yeah. the fad sort of things, the environmental approvals, etc., are pretty straightforward. That so um, we're expecting um, deployment of those fads this coming winter season. Ooh. Yeah. I mean, exciting. like, yeah. Oh, jeez, man. Like, it's still not 100% locked Shoot in. Shoot for the stars. So, yeah, but, but, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if I was a betting man, I'd be saying, yeah, we're, we're on for this well, winter. That's so exciting. Yeah, yeah. And um, the reef itself, so there's a whole lot of environmental stuff to go through, as you can imagine. Mm. Um, there's, um, you know, storm modelling, for example. They want to make sure that, um, you know, all – wave action and stuff is not going to Doesn't displace the up. reef and, and blow it elsewhere into the say into the shipping channel for example mm, that, um, be that would be wouldn't be ideal if no. we stopped our you know billions of dollars mm, a year yep, industry yep, so yep. Um, they need to make sure those things are staying put in a one in a hundred year um, sea yeah, yeah, state condition yeah, yeah. Um, which is that's been done it's all been modelled um, the next step in the design side of things is and approval side of things is to verify that there are no um, unique habitats that the, at the proposed oh, reef location. They're going to fuck up, yeah. And um, that's just been done with a video survey recently and yeah. um, initial reports are all good, so yeah. that's great. And then there's a public consultation period, so on the presumption that goes smoothly, which, I mean, geez, you, if anyone's listening, you'd be a dick if you said no. <laughs> um <laughs> But um, but you're happy to discuss any not concerns our, you've got. Um, not, not our untouched, but, not our untouched town. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, so assuming that goes smoothly, that's a four-week public consultation process, um, and then following that, it goes to the Commonwealth um, for approvals. It's the Department of Water, Agriculture and Resources, I believe, and that you get a sea dumping permit in that um, process. Mm. Um, if they come back with questions, then I think it's sixty-day period for them to review. Then um, they can ask questions, and we have got thirty days to respond. And then the sixty days get reset, and it's all Rickfish West who deal with this Run process. Away. By the way, so yeah. like they're used to dealing with this. They've done yeah, it, yeah, you know, yeah. dozens of this times around the state. Crazy thing they're going to be jumping yeah. through hoops. And so it's well, it well tested, very environmentally sound, tried and tested around the state. So it's a it should theoretically be pretty smooth sailing, and um, and then then once it's approved, then my hope is that um, the uh, the big corporate player um, who is pushing this is going to throw some serious money behind it. Mm. Um, they also have some materials opportunity that could be applicable to the reef as well. Yeah. Um, it's a re- real tricky thing too. Materials opportunity, like um, there's lots of things that could be suitable for a reef. And That's what I was going to ask you. We didn't actually speak about the no, artificial no, no. reef. So it, physically, what um, it is, what it look like, what it's made yeah, of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. True, true. So, um, so yeah. Typically around the state, it's either steel or concrete structures. Um, steel structures, 
you know, steel's inert, concrete's inert. Um, so as a non-toxic mm-hmm. um, coral and everything starts growing on it. And, um, what about the rust? The rust, I mean, like just like other steel structures in the ocean, they actually put anodes on the on the steel structures, yeah, which yeah. Um, uh, for anyone listening, very high level science, sacrificial anode, basically that rust you have a you have a more reactive metal that it re- it, it corrodes the uh, the more reactive metal before your main structure. So you basically bolt on a piece of magnesium or aluminium onto your titanium. steel. We did yep. a bunch of that yeah, on yeah, the yeah. on the side of the wharf back in the day. We yep. um, went under the, underneath the concrete wharves there when they had can- concrete cancer and cut big grooves through the through the wharf. So we yep. do exploration drilling from the surface, mm-hmm. core drilling, and you find the where there's where there's concrete cancer and rust throughout the throughout this um, the um, re- reinforcement through the, through the concrete wharves. And then you go on, and you set, they set up, they make a plan. You go on a scaffold underneath the wharf, and you cut these like a track mm-hmm. back and forth, a groove through this section of, of the concrete. Um, and then you get this titanium anodized, yep. yes, um, steel like, like ribbon. Mm. And you feed that into the groove, yep. and that comes down and it's attached to like a little. Um, um, yeah, something that, that, that charges that. that oh, yeah. So you've well. got two different types. You've got yeah. um, passive cathodic protection or impressed current cathodic protection. Yeah, well, that would be impressed so, current. Then, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then yeah. you grab yep. that back in yep. and then, that, as you say, that that, that sort of attracts mm-hmm. the – it's like a little sacrificial piece of, yep. piece of um, yeah, yeah. metal throughout the, and the structure. Provided it's maintained, impressed current will actually keep going in, con- in continuity because the electrons um, that are part of the electric current are, you know, stop any further degradation. Yep. So, yeah. But yeah, without getting too techy on it, um, mm. yeah, basically they, they bolt bits of um, aluminium and whatnot onto these steel structures to slow down the corrosion process. Yep. Eventually they'll break down into nothing. Oh, yeah. Um, but, I mean, you're talking a very long time. I mean, you've still got shipwrecks that are, you know, 100-plus years, years yeah. old um, and here in the Pilbara Coast, even this tropical water. So, yeah. you know, um, it's a slow process. And anyway, so back to the shape of the structures. So around Perth they have a lot of these um, concrete cube type of um, arrangements they're like a concrete almost a concrete lattice with cross almost like a giant cross on the middle with a, with a cube outside and they're designed to actually create upwelling and, and um, create favorable currents for marine life so what these things actually do is create their own ecosystem so it's not just it's not attracting fish from the surrounding area not that and it's in um, soul action anyway. It actually creates its own ecosystem. So you'll get corals growing on it. You'll get small, like, you know, planktonic type creatures hanging mm-hmm. around. Then you get small fish eating them, bigger fish eating them, and so on and so on. And so they create their whole entire ecosystem. So you're actually adding to the biomass that's, yeah. that's out there. You're pulling them from some other ecosystem exactly. over to yeah, a favorable yeah. so position. It's a really great sustainable type of thing that we're doing, and it's what sort? What so each structure? What size are we talking about? The size uh, of this, this half of this room? Or? The concrete modules will vary in size. Like some of them around the state are three by three by three meters, mm-hmm. um, and then you've also got smaller kind of beehive type looking things, which might be like a meter, meter and a half high, little yeah. holes in them, like nice little hidey holes for coral trout and yeah, crayfish yeah, yeah. and things like that. Yeah. Um, and then you've got the fish towers off um, off the back of Garden Island. I've got one which is like a I don't even know how tall that thing is, like ten, twelve meters high or something. So yeah, right. big steel structure. So with with our reef, we've got uh, one of the uh, marine companies around town who will be named at an appropriate time have donated a barge um, oh, yeah. to use. So this barge is actually made up of five modules. Um, it floats. 
each like the barge obviously floats. Um, but what the plan is is to blast it, get all the paint in that off it, to make it you know environmentally safe. Yep. yep. And then weld a heap of steel and you know hidey holes for fish and things like that yeah, on. Yeah. And the cool thing about a barge module is that you can actually tow it out there you know full of air and yeah. then um just have air valves and um just once it's in position they just open up the valves and then it just slowly sinks it. in a controlled oh, controlled cool. manner so um so yeah there's um this particular oh, barge cool. is made up of five modules yeah. and um and yeah so awesome from the guys who uh who you know offered that one up to um to give it up and yeah. then um and there's actually a, a heap of um, of big concrete um, units and um, old um, steel piles from one of the other entities as well. So um, I think they're talking about 15 to 20 of these concrete units and yeah, right. I think the number was 25 um, steel piles. So yeah, right. again, steel piles, perfect, like big hole in there, like perfect yeah. hidey hole for coral trout and yep. mangrove jacks and yeah. all these other cave dwelling type How species cool is that man so yeah man i'm, I'm super pumped and yeah. then for the near shore option so what i had in mind was was dropping one out near the where the barges are out off um you know sort of it's not no secret in town but out on the um, out on the eastern side of the channel there's like some barges that were um Apparently, there was a bit of a dodgy insurance job back in the 60s or something. Yeah. Um, and these barges just sit out there. And there's only three of them, two or three of them. And they get fairly hammered. But they do tend to still hold a reasonable number of fish, particularly considering the pressure they um, they sustain. Yeah. And I thought, oh, well, we've already got them there. We might as well just build on that and tr- throw a few extra, you know, bits of concrete, um, you know, reef modules around that and build on what's already there. Yeah. Um, but it was a, probably a little bit too close to the shipping channel mm. um, to get approval. So then we thought, oh, maybe we could throw one off out the back of Cook, Cook Point. Um, and that was a little bit, um, you know, less favourable too because it was a bit further away and the Rickfish West design guys were concerned about it silting up. And then we thought, oh, well, maybe we could look at one off Finnegan Island, which makes a lot of sense because um, the Finney Island boat ramp, as you probably know, had a big upgrade a few years back. Yeah. Um, and Town of Boydland threw in two million bucks. I think it was BHP or 99% sure it was BHP. Don't quote me on that. Sorry if it was one of the other big miners. Um, threw in another $2 million um, to top that one up. So yeah. big upgrade on that local boat ramp. Um, and it makes sense that if we've already done the upgrade to that, that those smaller boat guys has a, a location that's a bit more accessible, a little bit more family friendly, yeah. and also in a little bit shallower water. Yeah. Um, that's a bit more accessible to your, you know, your more intermediate to learner spearfishers and and also fishers who don't want to go all the way out to Cornerly Shoal. So, so whereabouts off Finnegan would it be? Well, I'm only this is only pie in the sky idea of mine yeah. at the moment. So they're. I'm hoping we can get some funding, hopefully from the town of Port Hedland, if you're listening. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I feel that if the town can put up some funding for the design and approvals process, which if we're using prefab, like those existing modules would be very straightforward process for the design side of things. Yeah. Um, you know, you might be talking like 100, 200 grand or something for the approvals, which is still a lot of money, but it's like compared to the other infrastructure that's installed around town it's peanuts and yep. um and then once we get the approvals for that 
um, then we could, you know, lobby various government grants as well as potentially some of the um, some of the bigger entities around town to to fund that one as well. But I feel like if if Town of Boy Headland had a nearshore reef off Finney, um, an offshore reef out of the back of Cornelise, and a fad network, we would become a freaking world class fishing destination. Yeah, and. You know, like, man, that will bring people to this town. It's And, you know, like, you'd be talking, so as a, as a rough ballpark of cost, typically about $500,000 per hectare. So a hectare being 100 or 100 metres. Um, so you can get very good bang for your buck. But the beauty of this investment, as opposed to other investments around town, is that once you put a reef in, it pretty much looks after itself. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, there's no ongoing maintenance, as opposed to... Like you know, the water park and you know, all, all the other things yeah. that have been that have been invested in in town in the past for royalties for regions. Yeah, they've some of them have huge overheads, and you know, as we found out with you know things like the water park, it's just more almost more hassle than it's worth. Yeah, and you know, whereas this town has got fishing is a huge part of the recreation of this town. I mean, yeah. you chat to most people who are long-term locals, what are they into? You know, camping and fishing. Yeah. Pretty much really, two things. Yeah. If you're going to stay in this town for any prolonged period of time, well, well guess what? Yeah. You know, you're looking after your base and, yeah. you know, we're building something that everyone can use. People and will come here. Exactly, Especially in the man. middle of the year when it's raining yep. every freaking day down Perthways and all that. Yep. People like going to Exmouth. That's yep. starting to get hammered nowadays. Yep. If they can come the Exmouth, mm. jump on a plane, come up to Headland, yep. and, 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 and then, then there's a market for yep. it. People people in town and people around mm. the area start having some boats. They can take people out on charters and shit exactly, out to the reef, near reef, fire reef, the fads. Yep. Man, I can see it. It's exactly, really 100%. And you know what's sick, man? The freaking the spoiler bank development, mm. despite all its controversy, is going to be epic when that yeah. thing's done. Like, um, it's pretty you know, cool. There's going to be, um, I have heard, a fish filling table station, fish filleting station there. Yep. Um, wash down facility for boats. Yep. Um, and, yeah, um, you know, just beautiful green space and... And Finally I think be like, able to thumb our nose at craft. Dude, uh, I know. Exactly. You've yes. got all the pubs and the breweries yeah. and the shopping and the and the apartments and, yep. and the cafes. But we got a marina, mate. And not only that, a marina with a washdown facility yeah. and a and a fillet table facility yeah. and in a beautiful location. And some fads and two and yeah. fads and two and two offshore reefs. And yeah. Dude, I can see it happening now, man. Like we'll be down there. Going out for a day of fishing, the the wife and the kids and the and the friends oh. will meet you down there, and then guess what? We'll fillet our fish down there yeah. on the fillet table. Yeah. There'll be some beautiful green trees, green grass, oh. and public barbecues as well. So oh. we can legit, man, like wash the boat down, fillet our fish, have a kick-ass barbecue with our mates on our fish that we've caught oh. sustainably on our fads and reef. And someone that knows mm. what they're doing takes over the yacht club and starts actually running the place like a real yeah. establishment. We can go there for a beer afterwards. Holy Shit, yeah, with, with, with more than just um, you know, two or three. And the headies, the headies refurb. You can go to the oh. heady and they actually sell beer on tap dirt. there. And there's a grass mm. out the front yeah, instead yeah, of just yeah. dirt and prickles. Mm-hmm. You can get fish and chips there and shit. Yeah, man. Imagine that, man. We're not asking a lot, hey. Not really, bro. Yeah. Not asking a whole lot of this town, man. <laughs> we feel like beggars with our hand out. Like, please, can we just have a couple of little things? Oh man. Yeah, and hopefully a few more trees around town too. Actually, on that note too, man, I was very heartened to see between Port and South the other day. Um, they've lined the side of the road close to the airport with trees now. Have they? Yeah, man. Which ones? Um, what I'm trees? Not, not too sure what sort of trees they are. Um, 
they didn't look like eucalyptus. There's one lone eucalyptus there, and then there's a whole lot of trees, which looks great, and it's thriving. They do a lot of those um, little... Um, I'm hoping they They might even be the Indian... Are they called Indian Beach? I think they are. They're, they're quite a beautiful tree. They've got those ones outside the, um, the post shop in South. Um, yeah, I'm fairly certain they're called Indian Beach. Yeah, anyway, don't well, try me on they, that. they've lined... You know those Cook, ones Cook opposite Point the... Drive um, with, like, um, you know, on the, on the left-hand side as you're coming in. Those are those flame trees yeah, they used to have yeah, yeah. before oh, they chopped them down. Oh, that's right, yeah. Apparently, I'd heard that they... They chopped them down because they were um, root-bound because the Muppets that planted them... I wonder why they were stunted. ...didn't take them, <laughs> didn't take them out of the pots, supposedly. Sounds but legit. I also don't get the logic. I'm like, sure, that might have been the case, but they still look nice when they flowered. Like, yeah. plant some new trees in between them yeah. and then once the new trees are established, then, get rid then of cut ones. down the old ones because the new... Uh, uh, yeah, anyway, now we've just got an area devoid of trees, like, good one. But, you know, on that note, bro, like, man, I've been racking my brain. What does this town need that can make it more attractive, bang for buck? And I honestly feel like they just need to put a bit more effort into the landscape and the trees. Yep. The, because you chat to people who are new to town, they go up here and they're like, so oh, wow, I didn't realise how... Like, ugly and dusty it is like yeah it just looks like crap man and you know what there are some areas pockets around town which look absolutely stunning and yep. you know the town doesn't need to invest that much more money to get a few trees established a bit of irrigation and yeah some and grass employ a few more full-time groundskeeper type people and like once my theory is man once you have the place looking good and people can start taking pride in it, then they're going to lift their own game as well. Yeah. And then people are going to be like, oh, wow, this town looks really nice. Like, And it just changes the whole perception of the place. They I know we've got to a spend a lot of... more of the money in South Headland around the town centre over there and nothing over this side of town here. Yeah, when, man. I mean, let's be honest, guys, you live in South Headland. Like, we love you, mate, but the best side of town is Port. This is where, it's beautiful over here. This is where the ocean is, mate. Yeah. This, is yeah. where the, this is where people want to be. Spend a little bit more money on, on beautification yeah. over here, eh? Man, of like that whole strip, the whole Sutherland Dust Street, Bowl, bro. both sides of Sutherland Street, it's between the road, disgraceful. between the road and the pathway, that should all be grass the entire mm-hmm. thing, all the way along. Yep, it's pretty standard for any beachside town. And you know what, the man? Four grand, like so. I've I spent five years in the South, mm-hmm. and um, and man, I'm so grateful for the opportunities Heaven's given me. Man, like you know, knuckle down. Managed to buy my own house, you know, with the family, yep. and um, and now we've now we've got our joint, and and we love it. And beautiful joint, you know, sitting anyone, in right now, this amazing kitchen that you've got. Yeah, looking I'm ocean. stoked, you know. Like, but you know, like I do hear some people whinging about the price property, and that it's like, man, houses in Headland are still relatively cheap, way below replacement cost, and. You know, if you're in a position to buy, freaking, it's a, it's not a bad shout if you plan on being here for a while because mm. it's so much cheaper than renting. And oh, yeah. but you know, like when you start looking at how much you're paying on rates, for example, four grand a year in rates, man, like that's more than people paying freaking Cottesloe, and mm. you know, and more than um, my mates pay for an equivalent house in Caratha. And look at what Caratha's got. Yep. And then I look at this. Freaking dust bowl out here, and yeah. I'm just Where's like, the money going come to? on, mate, sort it out. Where's the money going? It is, yeah, and you know, I know the town's doing some good things, like they're, they're 
you know, they're investing in the turf club, for example. Like that's that's going to be a good community share facility, and, and yeah. my hope is that we have some good stuff going on at the Spore Bank too. But you know, they're just a little bit of landscaping is not much to shell out, and it would just really change the impression of this town, especially when you know grey nomads and stuff come. They'll they want to go for a nice walk on, along the coast or even a ride on their little electric bikes. And when you've got a big dust bowl they're biking through, it's just, you know, like, come on, lift your game. Yeah, I'm, you know? I'm with you. I've, I've, I've said for many years as well about mm. that overflow in town there. It's like they deliberately leave it as just red dirt. Yeah, exactly, bro. What's like a bit of crack at us? Come on, like, crack at us the whole thing. <laughs> put a concrete structure with a with like a, a, a with a, um, a shelter in the middle mm. and a few barbecues or something. Yeah, down yeah, 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 yeah. Park benches, nothing mm. extravagant, mm. And, and a toilet block. Yep. And that's all you need to do. And that 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 area there, mm. people would come there. They go, we stayed in yep. Port Hedland. It was across from the lookout there, and they had crack at us and some. It was a concrete mm. structure. We could sit down in the middle of the night and chat to the other people. And there was toilets there, and it was lovely. It was near the yep. shops. And rather than go get a fucking dust bowl, and as soon as yep. the wind kicks up, you just Dude, see them all disappear so out bad. of town. You know what? Getting smoked. You know what I think has huge potential. So you got the the spore being, you know, the main access track and all the you know main development to the to the western side, Carrather side mm. of that main access track. The eastern side there, there's a big dead space. Yeah. If they could turn that into, um, you know, caravan park or eco-tents or something, yeah, yeah, could you imagine how much of an attractive place that is for, you know, people to come and visit? Because Sportbank's a beautiful spot. Like, yeah, locals yeah, love going out, out there. Out over that, if you yeah. go out, you can imagine all the nomads and, and, and tourists just going out, going for a fish off the Sportbank. Yeah, yeah. And then guess what? What that does... All the businesses all that are at the spoil bank, yep. like cafes or whatever, yep. it makes their business sustainable. Yep. It is such a no-brainer, man. Like <laughs> There's a lot of that going on in town. No-brainers that just never happen. And I, honestly, I just hope that that ends up happening. And, and you've got the whole, um, you know, the um, the maritime precinct, um, you know, initiative. And then there are some exciting things, um, you know, from what I hear happening in that space. So, you know... I, I do think there's some good potential in that general area, and I just, I just hope, hope we get that, it right. I hope it, yeah, man. Hope, hope we, we get, get it right, right and, this um, time round. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, because it's an amazing place. It's got some amazing uh, opportunities. They're doing some things right. If they compare that with some other little things. Just to flesh out the town a little bit more, mm. like you just said, that's a great idea. Create some more opportunity that so it's those the the business there's the, the businesses that they are spending money on become more sustainable and more money gets pumped into them because they pair it with some other little ideas like that where you're getting the right people in the right place at the right time who mm. are there to spend money. Yeah, man, it just bloody makes sense and that just helps all of us. Mm. It's an hour and a half in, mate. I know, Jesus Christ, man. We talked some shit, didn't we? Yeah, that's what we're here for. Mm. Uh, you happy oh, sorry. we've covered? You've happy we've Lord's covered? Name in vain. Oh, yeah. Well, mm. that's nasty. Are you, are you happy we've covered everything we need to cover? Yeah, I think so, man. This time around, we'll do it again another mm. time. All yeah, right, bro. thanks for your time, dude. Um, yeah. Uh, episode 118, Stink Fist. <laughs> <laughs> All right, take it easy, man. Oh, we're out. Cheers.